0: My guest today is the Vice President of EMEA for Application Sales at Oracle. Paul McCartan, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. It's great to be here. My pleasure, Paul. It's great to have you. Paul, maybe you could share with our listeners a little bit about your background, where you grew up, and what that was like.
1: I can indeed. I'm an Irishman, come from the north of Ireland. Um, Compared to most people, and I grew up during the Troubles. um, Compared to most people that I meet nowadays, or especially where I live, I live in Denmark currently. Um, It's probably not the best childhood when you make comparisons to your friends. I still remember, like as a kid, one of my first memories. I was born on a farm in a very rural part of the north of Ireland. Um, But I remember as a kid, you know, standing out in the cold night. While the soldiers raided our house, so it was probably not the um, the most best introduction into life. Those kind of experiences are to take back. Um, my my dad actually died when I was ten, and that had a big influence in my life and when I go on to what I've done in my career. It actually kind of instilled things in me that uh, I'll talk about later. But because of that, I left uh, that farm and we had to move to Belfast, and probably not to any such place in Belfast as like and uh, they had the troubles, Bathhouse was bad, bad enough but it was um, Ardoin which is probably one of the worst areas you could grow up in um, but you know, to be honest I did go to school, it was, schools were very, for me, very Catholic nuns oriented uh, to be honest, I would say a relatively good education in, in those circumstances that I've just described um, most people I grew up with though, you know didn't go to university, that wasn't a thing they they aspired to or did or and there's a very low number when I look back that you know made a progression to go to anything new. further education even never mind university so that, that's the kind of background I grew up in.
0: So Paul you, I'd love you to explain to our listeners you use the term troubles it's such a euphemistically Irish term we called World War II the emergency and what went on so for people who might not understand the depth of that meaning maybe you could explain it be, just just a little bit. Yeah,
1: I mean the so the Ireland it was split in two after you know the, the War of Independence as such, and the the northern part was uh, occupied or ruled. <laughs> I would say still the occupied six six counties uh, occupied by the British um, in the early sorry, the, the late seventies, early eighties. You know there were civil rights movements to give rights back to Catholics, and being a Catholic coming from the north, um, we actually didn't have many rights. You know, housing, education, access to all those things that people take for granted now. Um, and that led, led to a, a, a civil war even in the north. Um, and, you know, there was many sides and a great divide. And I mentioned my education was Catholic. There's probably people I've met over my careers or in my life that uh, have grown up in the same area as me, but had the opposite kind of education. We were segregated. Uh, there wasn't much mixing and uh, in education or even outside of that. So um, you get a very Blinkered view on life, and it's only when you grow up and move on and get other experiences, you look back and realize maybe they weren't the right experiences. But there was a lot of people killed. There was a lot of, you know, uh, probably one of my worst experiences was turning up for school and there was a body covered underneath the seat, which the night before a soldier had been blown up. Um, and our lunchtime was then throwing stones at the soldiers that were kind of around the scene that day, and um, you know, with no sympathy whatsoever. For that happening, it's not now. When I look back, and I think that's not normal. <laughs> then it was normal, very much so. Mm-hmm.
0: That's some transition, and I'd like to talk to you about it because going from that to where you are now is one hell of a journey. Maybe start with just telling us a little bit about how you think that background informed who you became as an adult.
1: Yeah, I mean. Uh, that's a good
0: point i think probably the one thing is
1: probably a combination of where i grew up and actually my father dying uh, at an early age um i have a huge desire to succeed um i i don't let you know things get in my way you know a failure is just a kind of fork in the road there must be another way um and I remember, you know, when I moved into my career, people used to give me comments, Paul, you really don't, you don't accept this is not the, you know, this is not going to work out. Uh, so I think that has informed both when I went on and got an education. Um, I remember even when I was at university, I applied to go to uh, Harvard uh, as to do like a, a postgrad. And my lecturers were like, are you joking? <laughs> um, and I said, no, I, why not? Uh, I don't, I, so I, I don't believe... That my background or who I am or what I am hold me back from anything. So I think that's been probably a, a big car- characteristic. I've had a look at another one is, um, you know, the the ability integrity. You know, I've got a very high standards. Uh, I don't compromise o- on much when it co- comes to that regard. Um, but you know, my ret- reputation means a lot to me, so I don't, I wouldn't top people or use people or be I I would hate that that that, that was, you know or you know even be rude to people you know I I would find that something that was against my my DNA and especially when you think back to you know probably the earlier life that you know wasn't you know it was different was divided uh, community I still have a huge respect for people and uh, individual rights and beliefs so yeah
0: I would imagine when you were younger you had a very fixed view on on life, on politics and so on. Now you're a very different person, you're much more open, you, you can see things from many different sides and many different perspectives. If you were to boil that down to one or two things in your life that would have maybe changed your perspective or opened up your perspective to other views and other stories and other narratives, what would you assign that to? The... Um... I remember I made a speech for my, my 50th. Believe me, I'm over
1: 50. Um, and part of that speech was reflecting on your life as, as you kind of do. Um, and Probably one of the defining moments for me in kind of that transition was my university days. I've made friends at university that I've had for life for what, the last 30 years now. Um, and what I said, I think it's so true. You know, I, I moved to England and went to university. I found a new freedom. And actually, my university friends taught me what to do with that freedom that I found. Um, I wasn't restricted by uh, either the prejudices or the, the rights to move around or um, uh, anything, you know, discrimination that I would faced and where I'd come from. I, I, I thought I, I, so I had this whole new freedom. I could do what I want. But I met people uh, that actually helped me to make that transition because... No offence, I don't think that's an easy transition. That's probably the hardest transition to, mm. to use that freedom in the right way, to do the right things and uh, to progress. So um, I, I put it down to them, um, those, the people I met, the education I got at university, and uh, that helped me in my, mm. my, everything in my life, you know, so both my yeah. work and my personal life.
0: You're a massive Toon fan. How did that happen?
1: Uh, well, that's where I went to university. And uh, I, I literally, one of my friends... A couple of weeks ago, his, his son was going off to university and he was you know, upset about it. My friend was supposed to meet up with me and couldn't because he had to go and look after his son and take him down to the university. I literally jumped on a a bus, then a boat, and then about four other buses to get to Newcastle upon time. I'd never even heard of it. <laughs> um, and my sister had actually signed me up for the university while I was travelling in the US. I went off to try and earn money in the US. Uh, and there was no real mobile phones. When I got back, it was... Tomorrow you're going to Newcastle. Here's your ticket. Um, so I arrived in, in Newcastle. M- very limited money. Uh, no connections. In reality. Uh, I met an Irish guy, as everybody does, who actually was the catering manager for Newcastle United. And my first job was working in the bar in Newcastle United. Um, uh, so I my, my university was a combination of working in bars and pubs, to earn enough money to get an education and to you know to be able to afford the the rent, the the fees, the everything. So. Um, Hence why I'm a, a very big Newcastle fan. Um, yeah, um, starting with yeah. terraces and cold winter nights, you become a good fan.
0: Yeah. And what was it like as a, a, a young guy from Northern Ireland going over to England to college in terms of... Because that was, again, during the Troubles. And I had my experience. I went to college in England too. And I've, I just found them the warmest, nicest people ever. Uh, that was maybe slightly later than... Would have been... I went over in '89. 88, actually. Uh, it was the exact same time, roughly. Okay. Uh, I think it was a year later than you. Um, but then I didn't go up on the in, in Belfast. So, you know, yeah. the accents accents tell stories too. So, yeah, no,
1: look, I, I have a, a range. I remember that actually the first week uh, in the first pub, having a few drinks, and I went to the bathroom, and a guy with an English accent was beside me having a pee and heard my accent, and he turned around and said, Oh, I was, I was over there. I shot a few of you. Swear word. Uh, I wish i could go over and shoot a few more. Um, that was my introduction, but to be honest, yeah. that was not the minority. Um, the people yeah. I met and uh, the people I got on with, you know, English, Irish, and even you know, foreign nationals was you know um, was huge. And to be honest, no offence, Geordies are not English. <laughs> they're more. I think they're more Viking. If you listen ah. to the language, they're more Viking than they are English. Um, and they don't even see, see themselves they don't see themselves as Scottish and they don't
0: see themselves really as I I, I, uh, I, never would have associated Viking I never made that connection it makes sense obviously but I never made that connection
1: I haven't lived in the, the Nordics now for many years when I listen to the language and the, you listen to the Geordie language you, word for word you can almost do a direct translation um, so, so I think you know, they're used to foreigners coming in and they accept them um, they're very loyal to their football team and they're, you know, they can be a bit rough around the edges but they're they're amazing yeah. people and that's what I find. I've got friends yeah. for life um, from Newcastle.
0: Talk to me then about Denmark. How, how did that happen?
1: I got, well, got my first job, as you know, you mentioned my big title for Oracle, but you know I got my first job as a kind of C++ programmer for Oracle. It was like six months in London at the time and then six months in San Francisco working in development. Uh, so, for, as a 20-year-old, that was, you know, the opportunity of a lifetime. You know, I was living the dream, you could say. Um, so, living in London, in London, you go out to bars, you meet very much international people. So, I happened after a couple of years, I met a Danish girl and, um, yeah, we, we we got together. Uh, she then wanted to move back to Denmark to get her education. So, um, yeah, we, we did that. We moved back to Denmark. Um, I made one agreement. Uh, the agreement was I will move but after you finish your education I choose what we do next. No arguments, no discussions and so we went off to Denmark and um, she got her education. I managed to get continue my uh, job with Oracle and move out there doing something different so it was good as well. A uh, good experience for me.
0: Yeah all that travel international experience um, I'm wondering how that's informed you your style of leadership.
1: Yeah well look, you know I said kind of earlier that you know a uh, I was, when I moved, in, I found the, my freedom in England, you know, that that gave me an opening. Uh, and because of my background and seeing prejudice, you know, I would say definitely in my work life, I'm not prejudiced in the slightest. I, I really believe that in individuals right to achieve and, you know, I actually look for diverse talent. I, I you know, um, I get frustrated. For example, of, you know, I have, I have don't have enough women in my team, in my management team, or don't. You know, I look for very diverse talents, and I honestly believe in that. Um, and I believe people if they come and they they have a desire to do something. That's the people you want to, to bring in. So, hiring the right people is very important, but. If you get somebody with a desire and a will to want to do something, uh, maybe because of my, the way I grew that, that up, that desire I can see that in others, and I will invest time and in, her uh, in individuals. So that so that was a big thing for me. Um, I actually seen the the other night. I watched a clip from Alex Ferguson's uh, what is it biography or whatever it is, um, or lifetime story. It was a football thing. And I've seen a clip for it where he was talking about where he came from, a very hard life, working in the uh, shipyards and what that taught him. And the one thing he's, he pulled out that resonated really well with me was knowing people, knowing, being able to meet people, know what's behind them, to kind of man-manage them the way, as he kind of put it, was, you know, to this one needs an arm around the shoulder, this one needs purse. and um, I think that has really helped me in my career, that I've got that ability to very quickly uh, kind of see what's behind people and see what they're, what motivates them. And I think that has really helped me in my career.
0: It's funny you bring up Ferguson because, you're right, comes from a tough background. Tough backgrounds make tough people. You're the same. And I'm wondering if in our efforts sometimes when we're raising people to almost protect them from tough times, that we're maybe doing them a disservice and I'm just curious to know what your own thoughts on that are because you would have led many people and you would have seen people who came from tough backgrounds and how they turned out, the positives and the negatives because it brings its own baggage with it, there's no doubt about that Um, But then people maybe who might have had it easier and is, is that a good thing, is it a bad thing, is it just, it is what it is, just curious to know your thoughts on that I, I think
1: it's I think it's a very valid point um, you know and some of the times you know when I'm kind of coaching people I'll use different styles some need uh, you know really persistent need to get to get a motivation you know you're 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 not good at this this is why you're not good and almost straighten them down to nothing um, uh, versus some people that you know they've got that desire but they're maybe missing how to make the connection about what they need to do and the way forward so you need to you actually need to be softer with them so um I, I do think i've had a hard background i do think that i've learned from that and i, I do see that in others and some, certain individuals um, I, I do a lot of uh, communication training and i had a guy a guy called Lawrence mullen to help me he's an old actor um, but you know I, i've been through, through his kind of training to on the communication stuff and he rips you in, to bits and makes you almost crying in his sessions and I've seen several other people attend some of his sessions, and you, sometimes we do uh, mixed groups, where other people have been in tears. Um, with, he gets that personal, that up close. Uh, to, so look, I think it's a good thing to sometimes that you get exposed to... Because, um, um, you know, it may be tough, but everybody has things that they're hiding. Um, and actually, part of my DNA, I think a lot of Irish people's DNA, is that we never believe we're good enough. We're always, we're waiting for somebody to expose that the flaws and we're, 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 were fake. <laughs> um, you, know, you mentioned my title, you know, I'm waiting for somebody to say, well, actually you couldn't possibly be skilled enough to do this every day. But that's what motivates me. I wake up every day thinking, how do I, um, you know, how do I succeed? So and others, you know, and, and being able to get to that connection with them and uh, get behind the, the hard, the soft exterior is a very important part of, yeah, relating to people
0: yeah it's it's and I often wonder that because you see people who are really driven really determined very motivated and you look into their background there's there's always a fire under their ass and that doesn't you 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 don't gently put a fire under somebody's ass you know life does that and it can be cruel and i, I, I yeah i just i don't know that there's a substitute for that hard knocks i, I really don't uh, i'm not I'm not wishing it on people i just I just but you know the. I think the
1: reverse is also true. Like, you know, I've had several bosses, and I think you learn from every boss you've ever had. And I, you know, I look back, and you know, if I'm getting get a new boss, I'll maybe sit, sometimes sit down and jot notes from the previous boss, what I've learned. Uh, and my most recent boss that I currently have, Cormac Waters, um, so he's the EVP for Europe for applications. The one thing he's taught me is about um, almost being happy in your job. You know, realizing how good it is. -hmm. And and propagating that to other people to make people feel um, uh, 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 worth in what they're doing, and even when it's tough, they turn around and say, "Hang on, we love this because this toughness is what we why we do this job." You know, maybe quarter end and we're working long hours and extremely stressed, Mm -hmm. and he'll turn around and say, "And he's true." You know, and and I learned that from him. some of the other senior people I've worked there have learned other things, but that, you know, ability to turn even tough times into very good times and realize how good this is,
0: um, is a really good asset. Speaking of lessons, what's the most important lesson you've learned in life?
1: <laughs> you, you don't, you don't, um, you don't ask the easy questions. Um, look, I think it goes back to, you know, uh, believing in yourself and, you know, not doing anything that would compromise who you are. Um, and especially in sales, you know, sales of what I work in now, everything's a compromise. You compromise in everything. Uh, every negotiation window is compromised. But I think that, you know, the not compromising on your beliefs and being open and transparent to people is incredibly important. Um, I see a lot of people sometimes communicating and there's no authenticity in it. Uh, and you can see through that. People can see through that. But if you're genuine, people people can see that a mile away, and you have to you have to keep that with you through it. And, uh, and that's what I've learned. Um, be genuine. Believe in what you're doing. Believe in who you are. Um, you know, the rest will come. Um,
0: yeah. I'm wondering if that is getting harder to be yourself because I've noticed a lot, and certainly in the last couple of years, where people who come out and 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 take positions on social issues and they they they're just expressing their opinion who they are and they can be slammed and, can- and actually canceled taken off air or lose their job and and it causes people then to keep their opinions to themselves or not express who they are uh, without going down any rabbit holes on that, I'm just curious. You know, is it getting harder? It, not, I'm not yeah. judging them. There's no value statement there. It's just, is it getting harder with, with yeah. social media and things like
1: that? Rick, Rick, a, a friend, a friend of mine is, um, you know, the, the 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 cricket one that just recently happened about Yorkshire cricket. So he was the uh, CEO. Uh, he was actually doing that job voluntarily, no no money, <laughs> and. You know, you know he'd taken it on six months so he didn't create the problem he'd taken it on six months prior to the scandal all coming out and he, you know he was live in the BBC giving an interview and um, he was in front of a, the committee you know the parliament in the committee Um and, you know it almost ruined him and almost ruined his life as well you know his personal mm-hmm. life it was, in, it was in Tatters because of it um, so look and you know you look at instances like that and you, you know things that are banter, you know, is not, is not right, you know, and, and then, so you have to be incredibly careful. So sometimes you can lose the kind of human ability of who you are to make comments and make fun of people. And, you know, I've got myself in, in some situations that, you know, I'll look back and I was a little bit, um, uh, not careful enough in that situation, but you have to, sometimes you have to be, um, hmm. so it, it, it's, a, I think it's a very difficult t- topic. And, the more senior you are, the more external, as in, you know, maybe media or anything to do with that, you, the, the politicians, for example, they, they, you have to be too careful. So, so it, yeah. I think it limits, um, you know, free speech versus, you know, getting yourself in trouble. I think there's a,
0: yeah. <laughs> there's a problem yeah. there for the future. And we just yeah. saw it for a for, for contemporary, for people who may be watching this in a few weeks time. Uh, it was this week with Boris in the UK where a video came out that's a year old. And there was somebody who again had to resign, lost her job because she said something that if there's no cameras going, people might see it as maybe it's an inappropriate joke. And but it's, it's when you take it out and put it in a different context and you go, Oh, but the point is, I think it's you know, the cameras were there and where 20 30 years ago that that wouldn't have happened. I don't know that we've changed, I think it's the technology. Or people will troll through somebody's Twitter's and go back, to, which is what happened at the Yorkshire cricket thing. I think somebody said something ten years ago, and somebody found it, and I, I think maybe that's the issue. But I guess my point was that it's it's is. But it, or my question was right: Is it getting harder to be authentic? My sense from what you're saying is that uh, you have to be more careful of who you're with, and that your 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 group who you can be really who you, you are with. And who get the nuances, um, perhaps is shrinking a little. Look, I agree with
1: that. And and, and, um, in the work context, I put a lot of effort into having very diverse teams. So even my team, you know, I I make sure, you know, I I try and build as diverse a team as possible, and don't have cliques. I think, you know, I've seen within like big companies like Oracle, you know, I manage what in reality what's a one billion dollar business to Oracle in Europe. Um, You have cliques. People getting on because of this, and they're bringing people like them and stuff. That there, I, I try and stay away from that. And yeah. I've seen some of my peers, even my bosses, at the time building things out where, like you know, let's have one French guy and then another French guy and then another French guy, and it's like, hang on a minute, can we have somebody that's not French? <laughs> um, or you know, it's, yeah. you know, it can be yeah, whatever. It doesn't really matter. But you know, try yeah. not to have cliques because I don't think that works. I think you need to. Try and when you hire, try and hire people that are not the same as you, <laughs> um, which is incredibly hard to do. Um, at the end of you always go back to what your default is. You shouldn't because you get, you don't get functioning teams uh, if you do that. Um, no, I get that.
0: I get but, that. You're,
1: you're, but going back to your real point of communication, being careful. Uh, yes, I think it limits this, and, and I think that will get worse because I think the speed of communication, anything you say, will in any context. You know, if, I've had example in my previous career of. Somebody said, somebody said in a room being up, broadcast on Facebook or whatever. Um, and it was probably an individual joke, you know, what they think there's a locked room, and the next thing it's on Facebook and it's exposed to the, the world. You know, it's uh,
0: Yeah, different times, but we have to move on. That's <laughs> it. It, it, is, it is what it is. Uh, we just have to adapt to it, that's for sure. Um, what was I was going to ask you. Yeah, wh- what, what makes you proud? Mm-hmm.
1: Look, you know... Th- <laughs> uh, you know, a farm boy from the from the north of Ireland uh, moved all the way to leading what is what I said a minute ago, you know, what a, a one billion dollar business for Oracle, um managing hundreds of people. Um uh, I, I, I'm, I, I'm proud of my career. So my personal career and what I've gained through it, I'm proud of it. But I'm proud of my background. I'm proud of where I came from. Um uh, you know the you know I, I would like to hopefully leave some kind of legacies but you know people as you get older you want to leave a legacy but what would my legacy be you no know, mm. uh, i did actually last week was probably the one of my highlights of my career an oracle we we just finished a kind of a uh, a project with a i suppose that live i can't really say I do it put it this way it's a cross and it's red <laughs> and it's a non-profit organization <laughs> um, but, you know, What that was doing was, you know, they've got something like four and a half million people they feed every year. They've got 35 million people to supply water to. They've got something like uh, uh, 100,000 hospitals and detention centers that they kind of manage. All that, the logistics of all that is actually being run on the software that I sell and I help to deliver to those customers. And we were helping them to refine all that and, and, you know, make it, streamline it and run it out to more countries and do more with it and get more value from it um but that was huge you know i spoke to the cfo or the cio that was inspiring it was humbling (laughs) um you know so if a legacy i believe a legacy of customers that like that you know that that, when i wake up the next day i was i was buzzing um uh, because i knew what we were doing with these guys and you know a week later i was working with a a company that does um medical devices and and they went to their their headquarters and it was you know written the wall, i was sitting looking at it and said you know making lives of indi- individual with uh, medical problems better i'm paraphrasing it's not quite what they said but you know what i mean but it was making lives of people better and every plant they have worldwide runs our software to deliver those medical devices and i'm like this is what this is what my legacy is and i i i, I give them solutions to help people around the world have better lives i mean yeah I'm like boy from of Ireland. Yeah, that,
0: and that right there is the greatest recruitment video ever, because people coming in think they're coming in to sell software, and and they're not. They're coming in to make lives people's lives better, solve problems, and it's never about the software. And uh, when they get that, I think it makes all the difference in the world. I Agree. Yeah, so tell me then, in terms of what you're doing currently, well, I think you probably answered that. I was going to say, what's given you a great sense of achievement? Okay, I think you've probably just answered that with the, that example. Um, I, I, I guess I, what I'm wondering is where you go from here, because you've been very successful.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know, to be honest. You know, I've, I've spent my career, actually most of my career, with one company, which is unusual in the industry I'm in. That's What? Over twenty five years in with the same company—that's that's that's not normal. And you know, it's true. The truth, but I've worked in what three continents, four continents. I've probably lived in probably six, seven countries within that, um, and done probably four or five, you know, big different jobs. Like you know, consulting, support. So not a lot with my career. It's not I've sat still in one area and just you know did the same thing every day. That's that's definitely not the case with what I do. I still have a lot to offer. um I, you know, my boss, you know, he's just joined about a year ago. Um, because of COVID, he's an Irish guy we've never met, <laughs> uh, but we had some great conversations about what I can do next. You know, mm. I got the unit I run now. Um, when I got it at the time, um, it was basically because our customers were complaining with we some issues, and they were saying, no, "Oh, this business is not a very good business. Paul, just, think, just manage it to be okay." But I've I, I built that business to be even bigger than it was. Um, it grows every year. Um, in a very uh, nice way that the customers are happy, Oracle's happy about what we're doing with those customers and how we're giving them the future and, uh, you know, move, moving forward. So uh, I have a legacy there. Of what I've built, I'm very you now. Maybe it's because my engineering background, I like to build things. <laughs> um, the customer stuff I was just talking about, that was going working out with the customer needs. You know, it was building something for those customers and helping the customers do something. So that's what I've done. So I've built this organization that delivers really good things for the customers and um, for Oracle. So I, won't, I probably want to do that again, and in another context. You know, my next thing will be something else I can take that's broken, build it, and make it better than it is. And that's that's my next move. So if my boss is less than Cormac, you need to you need to find me the right role. I know will responsible. For you. Paul, you find it. I'll help you get it. <laughs> so how
0: how would the people who work for you describe you?
1: yeah um committed um uh, passionate sometimes i can be a little bit too passionate you know um uh, you know I'm, I'm not a shy retiring person um but you know hopefully that's you know um you know i've had a lot of people that have gone to very senior roles work for me and um, some of my units some other places whatever uh, i take great pride in the people that come to work for me that they have a career path and they can develop and they can want to do other things. And Some of them I've said, you know, I'll probably end up working for them or end up working for her because I know that they're that good and, you know, they're with me for a short period of time. It's like I have a kid, they're only with you a short period of time. You do your best to kind of look after them and feed them when they need fed and then they go off and do
0: do other things. Um, They end up then changing your nappies in a few years' time. Well, exactly. When you get older, you're not capable of doing it. So, um <coughs> So
1: that's the answer to that question. If That's an answer.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, that's it. I, I like it. I like it. Uh, and I like it. But what, what jumps out of me is the idea that you, you give your best to people, you help them grow. And then if you've done your job well and you're humble enough, then when to wherever they are, it's OK to turn around and say, OK, now how do I serve you? And that takes a big person to do that. Not everybody would be comfortable doing that.
1: I think, you know, you asked me about my childhood. That goes back to my childhood. One, having grown up in a kind of war zone. (laughs) One, you're very good at reading people. Two, you're very good at working out what networks are and how to develop networks and how powerful networks are. And in reality, that's kind of part of that. You know, you you work with these people, you find out what's important to them. You help them to grow and then they become part of your extended network. So you have this network and customers and the organization that you can rely on when you need things. It's like, you know, you sit there for five minutes, which one of my network can help me? And I spend a lot of time, by the way, you know, developing personal networks. You know, it's not something that, you know, you have to do it you do it naturally, but you also have to, as a leader, kind of sit back and work out, well, okay, where am I going? Where does my unit need to go? What networks do my, net, do my guys need? You know, some, sometimes I do it for other people within my team. Sometimes I do it for myself, but, you know... Network is hugely important to develop.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. And speaking of networks, very often when you know if I'm interviewing, say, somebody who's a frontline manager, maybe new into that role, they go in with huge enthusiasm. In terms, you know, they've been very good at selling, et cetera, and they want to make a big impact. Um, but what they often forget to do is take care of their internal network. And I'm just wondering, somebody who's been through that and succeeded, what advice would you have in terms of taking care of the internal network in an organisation to help them, in terms of career plan and progression?
1: Oh, you know, it's, you know I remember when I, when I was being promoted to a VP, to get promoted to VP in Oracle it probably, takes, probably takes several years. Um, but the, the biggest part of it and the most rewarding part of it was actually what, what they kind of get you to do is to go and meet the, the senior leaders, go and have kind of interview with them and spend some time with them. And what I was amazed through that process is how many hours and how much time and effort they devoted to me. A lot of them didn't know me at all. Um, uh, but, you know, they, they did it because and they were delighted to do it. And I learned from that. And it was It was the, probably the biggest learning I got through that process that, um, there is an internal network. You need to work on that. It's not something that always comes naturally. Because, um, you know, you have to make a network of people. Maybe they're not connected to your business. Maybe you haven't got the same mission as you. Maybe you've got the opposite mission to you as well. So, um, you know, you, you need to put effort into network development, <laughs> internally and externally. Um, probably the internal is even more important than the external because if you don't get your internal network functioning you can never deliver for your external um, which is actually you know especially in sales what we do now is you know we deliver for a customer you can't do that if you can't have the right um, uh, internal workings and you know, for career progression it's often it's the thing you know you won't get higher you won't get more responsibility um, actually, and actually probably the other thing in developing your your network is communication because you know what you do isn't, isn't that important when it comes to kind of progression. It's what you're perceived to do. So, you know, I learned from, I think it was my boss, Loic, uh, an EVP had two, two, two bosses ago, and he was big on communication. He got to where he was based on communication. All right, a bit of availability, but a lot of it was communication. Mm-hmm. He, you know, we would do a forecast call, which was running a big business for him. We would spend, you know, half an hour on that, and we could spend an hour on a communication on one word. One hour on one word in a sentence. No, that's not the right word. Let's change that sentence. And And it would be, go to that level. And because this was going up, this was to reflect what he did, to sell what he was doing or his unit was doing, the perception. So, you know, um, uh, you know, you have to communicate correctly to your network to, so you're perceived or your team's perceived to deliver X, Y, and Z to be successful. So then you can actually get what you want.
0: Mm, that must it, be a real challenge in a multi-language environment, for sure.
1: Yeah. You know, the, the guy I was talking about is a French guy. So, you know, yeah. it was, our company uh, communication is typically English. But, you know, um, yeah. he would do the same thing. You know, I, I used to practice with him his speeches and stuff. And sometimes they're in French, sometimes they're in English, you know. <laughs> and so he had to be able to do it in, you know, multiple. So it, he was even better than me. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, if you were a minister for education, and you can make one subject mandatory in the secondary system. What would that be?
1: Yeah, actually, yeah. so is it a subject or is it you know? I think the the ability uh, to live in the kind of real world and have that real world connections. I would you know I think the or kids these days learn you know maths, English, all, all the basics, um, even into advanced things like you know IT and. Uh, you know, lots of subjects. The um, the um, but, but what's missing from a lot of people that leave school is that real world experience. So anything to help them to uh, relate to the real world, to to understand themselves, to understand, put themselves in the context of the real world. They, I think that, that gap has got bigger uh, over the years. Um, uh, I take on a lot of graduates. I have a lot of. Uh, young people come into Oracle, start their careers and develop up, and that's probably the the one bit that is all struggling, that self-awareness, that self-awareness of the, the world and what's going on and what happens and commerce and what goes on in commerce so, you know, real-world experiences whether that's more kind of placement type things earlier or subjects to help them develop uh, that's the area I think they need to
0: develop on If you were starting out again, Paul, in your career is there anything you'd do differently? Um possibly
1: um you know i probably i probably could have done more and, and better if you know if i'd a new now what, <laughs> I knew that then yeah, but I, look I, i'm not a believer in regretting the things that i've done even some of the bad things i've done and trust me you know you don't get this age without doing things that you uh, are, are, are bad in a certain way i don't regret any of those uh, i only ever regret the things i didn't do and I look back at my life and it's probably the things I didn't do. I didn't go to that country and take that opportunity. I, um, I didn't go and meet those people and do X, Y, and Z. It's only the things I didn't do that I regret. So mm. I have no regrets. Um, mm. I, I, I've achieved what I've achieved. Uh, I'm honored and humbled for what I've achieved. You know, I, you know, a lot of it's through things that I said earlier about termination, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot mm. of it's also luck. You have to have the right luck, be in the right place at the right time. Um, but you know, say about Tiger Woods he's very lucky when he gets on a golf course he's, he's very lucky because he puts hours and hours of practice to get that luckiness but you, you need a bit of luck as well um, yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. if you were to retire in the morning and you weren't allowed to do any consulting any kind of worky work stuff what would you do? <laughs> that's, that's a hard question uh, well Um, Save the hardest for last. (laughs) Yeah, but I've got
1: like probably a typical answer. I've got a family that I, I, you know, when it gets to weekend, I stopped about about five years ago, maybe a bit longer, working weekends. I used to find myself, you know, starting on a Sunday evening and Sunday afternoon, and I had no life, so I I have a life. (laughs) I have a family life. I really enjoy working, so I've been with my kids and my wife. so I would spend as much time with them as possible. As much time as they will let me spend with them. They're <laughs> now getting to an age where, you know, they may not want me as much as I want them. Um, but, you know, I'm also into sports and, um, you know, I'm, I know how to dig holes at run a golf course. And um, But I think there's also some of it is about giving things back. So, you know, I'm, I'm very conscious that I've got a lot out of life. I'd like to give some things back. So, you know, finding ways to maybe help uh, some charities uh, and do some of that kind of work. I'd love to do that. Um, So I I think as I get older and maybe do less work and more of my personal life, I'll spend time on that, you know, use my experience and the things I've done to see if I can help some of the non-profit organizations uh, help others. So I'd love to do that. Um,
0: And and apart from golf, do you have an interest in anything that you've just never really had the time to invest in over the years that you would have? If you were retired, I I can't say I have actually because I've played, you know,
1: sports-wise, I've played just about everything. You know, I I would never say I've played well. You know, I've played rugby. I played rugby in Surrey Division Three. You know, um, I (laughs) I got the blood and the scars to prove it. Um, Mm. I've played, you know, Gaelic football. I've played soccer. Uh, So, in sporting context, you know, uh, I've done a lot. Um, I don't know. I I don't know the answer. That question is just things I would have, I haven't had the time to do i don't know um you know that I, I like traveling as well but I, i've managed to do that a lot through work there's places i have not been and not seen and i would still like to do a lot more of that and that requires time to do it properly and you know somebody actually for me something to do it with you know mm. i've been to like for example beijing never seen the great wall of china which is an hour away it's about 20 dollars in a in a, a limousine <laughs> i never did it uh, but actually, I, I would like to do it with somebody else. I, I wouldn't. I, I don't like doing things like that yeah. on my own. I'm a very. I want to share it with somebody. So, you know, as I get yeah. older, uh, my wife. <laughs> let's go. Let's go and see the world together. So.
0: Yeah. Nice. No, I know that feeling. I've done that with work in the latter years, where I'd build in an extra couple of days to go see things when I travel. It's not the same when you don't have somebody to share them with, because you're coming back and you're trying to describe it, and then you realise they weren't there with you, and. Yeah it's uh it's not quite the same <laughs> if there was a, a a fire in your building uh, in your home and everybody's safe family pets safe phone safe um and you're time to run back in and grab one object what would it be and and why
1: yeah then um, it would probably be pictures actually you know pictures of, of you know um Pictures of your family, pictures you know of the generations before as well. Um, Mm. There's some pictures, you know, even pictures of friends. It's probably no. I'm not really into worldly goods. (laughs) Um, Mm. Mm. I think you know. I think about my house, and um, other than probably one other thing, I have a snooker table um, in my house that I don't think I could carry that. But (laughs) um, I always wanted a snooker table. Uh, I wanted to buy one and the guy said to me, where are you putting it? I live in Denmark. And I said, uh, in the garage. He said, is it heated? I said, no. He said, come back when it is. So I spent two years personally converting my garage. Wow. Uh, I mean, from the bottom up, as in you know, two years of DIY. I'm a bit into DIY. Uh, to rebuild it, to make the perfect man cave to put a snooker table. So the other thing in my house, that's probably the only other thing in my house that, you know, I, I'm not bothered about anything else. Uh, the other, the family's out, some pictures and maybe the snicker table.
0: <laughs> yeah, I kind of had the same thing. I bought a motorbike and the guy says, have you got a garage to put it in? And I go, no, we converted the garage to another room. Well, you need to build a garage. So we ended up building a garage just for the motorbike. <laughs> Mad. Exactly. Of, course, of course, then my wife decided that, well, there's lots of other things that would fit in the garage and yeah,
1: the now I can anyway. one motorbike
0: in. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um i want to ask you there's a question i wanted to ask you earlier and and it went out of my head so i'm going to ask it now is do we need to change our definition of success um i
1: think i I don't know whether we need to change our definition of success but everybody i think has a definition of success and it's their own Uh, and i think it's important you have a definition of what your success is i work a lot of With a lot of people and coach them and and what they want and you know if you don't find out what they see as being success sometimes you can coach them you get the end they go like oh they got promoted they got a a pay rise they're doing great and you go and talk to them like and they're not that happy why actually I didn't get what they they see as success they need to go off and do something else you know Mm -hmm. they're in the wrong role or the you know their assets are not being used or what they what they enjoy is not being used to to the most so um, I, I think everybody has a different definition of success. Um, I think it's important you understand and I see a lot of people not happy in their job and that, that is, I think that's a fundamental mistake I, I remember meeting a few years ago a neighbour of mine who is a CFO for a reasonable sized company and we kept bumping into each other in, in the French airport in, in Charles de Gaulle airport and having a beer and, and every time I met him, when I left I was almost depressed because the guy was like, he hated his job and mm-hmm. um, and I, I was thinking, I cannot live a life like that. You know, how could somebody do that? How could you give up so much of your time to something you, you don't get so, anything out of? So people need to define what their success is in their work and then define it, you know, and are happy doing it and love what they do. If you love what you do, I mean, that's why I love people around me that are happy. You can see them, the ones that are getting, getting a adrenaline rush out of closing deals or building a deal or working with a customer. If you get them in that mood they're, they're fantastic. The, the, the world's at their oyster. So, you know, defining what success is and actually living to get that success is, is incredibly important.
0: Mm, I can imagine. Two final questions. What aspect of leadership do you enjoy the most? Pro- probably, it's probably,
1: again, it's probably creating, um, creating something. You know what I mean? And I, I mean that, uh, and doing that, not doing that on your own, you know, being able to kind of create something from scratch, you know, I, I, I said maybe earlier, kind of an engineering background, I like to build things. But it starts with, you know, a rough plan of what you want to do. Then you have to convince other people that that's a good idea. Then you have to get the right people with the right motivation to go and do that. But doing that, and you end up working very closely with people. You know, it's almost like, you know, you, have a, you know, when you meet 10 years later, you refer back to that period of time where you did this together. Um, you know, and, and you know, you'll meet the individual. You're thinking the same way. You, one comment can be said, and you go, Remember in that room when we were doing X, Y, and Z, or we did this." That that's that's it for me.
0: Um, okay. okay, I like it. So it's the it's the, the the creating, the building, the crafting of of ideas and systems and. Business. Yeah, and, and, uh, but
1: business. it's it's creating a team to create something bigger than, than it is before it started. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. going out, having a joint mission that you go together and and do. Yeah. Um, you get great incentive for that, you know. And I think everybody in the team does. You know what I mean? You you really you become you get a bond. Um, yeah. It's like uh, the only other experience that people tell me is the same as when you do. I do marathons, but I don't do ultra marathons with some of my friends. Does. And they say when you do an ultramarathon, they're, you know, they're running for 36 hours, night and day, over the mountain. <laughs> if you're running with somebody, you get that bond. You get to the end of it, mm. and it's like, you know, you're a friend for life, even if you've never known that person before you started. Um, yeah. And it's that kind of
0: yeah. thing. I, my hat's off. I only ever did one marathon about maybe 15 years ago, and I don't think my body's ever recovered from it. So I don't know. I'm, so I envy anybody who's able to do that. On a, but, but I get it. I do understand what you're talking about, that bond and, and about also the sense of accomplishment that nobody can ever take away from you again. It's a pretty unique achievement. Um, but but all good things have to come to an end. And I've thoroughly enjoyed our chat, Paul. I have to ask you, uh, when your time on the planet is done and they write a book about your life, what would you like the title to be?
1: Um, I, I'm, a, I'm allowed to say it in Irish. <laughs> go, go for it. Chuck your own aunt. Our day will come, <laughs> and I don't mean that in a political sense uh, at all. I mean that more in a you know, if your time's done, your day has come.
0: <laughs> um,
1: so, yeah. look, I don't know whether that's the right answer, or the wrong answer. Um, look, you know the. It's your answer. It's my answer. Yes.
0: Yeah. No. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Paul McCartan, thank you so much for your time today. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Your insights are incredible. And uh, what a life, what a journey. That's all I can say. Uh, Many more years of it.
1: Thank you, Paul. It's it's a pleasure talking to you. It makes me remember things that I've completely forgotten. So it's a great experience. So uh, uh, Thank you for your time. My pleasure.